Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 1. Now on the very, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with him came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. They found the tomb, the stone rolled away from the tomb. And they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this. And behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you have brought us to this place in the gospel that we hear these words. It is indeed a happy ending. At least the news of it has reached our ears. And Lord, this is the source of all life and hope for the whole world. Lord, how we pray that we would receive these things, yes, with understanding, understanding which only you can give to us. We pray that you would open our eyes spiritually that we might hear and understand and believe these things. But also with great joy and delight and the greatest and best news that there has ever been. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So at last we come to it. Chapter 23 is a very happy ending of the Gospel of Luke, or at least the beginning of that end. For many chapters, there have been these dark foreshadowings of what was about to happen to Jesus in Jerusalem. Not only the prophecies, but other things. These storm clouds were absolutely gathering, and then it all happened. It was absolutely as bad as could be imagined. And by the end of chapter 23, Jesus lies dead. His death is verified by competent authority, and he has been buried in a tomb. It's a nice tomb, but it's a tomb nonetheless, and he's dead. And now, in chapter 24, we learn the good news. Christ has risen, just as he said that he would do. And one would think, actually, that every one of his disciples and all those who followed him would actually be there waiting for this to happen. Perhaps they wouldn't be able to sleep that night in anticipation of what they knew was going to happen. They all get up at midnight or way early in the morning and they, they take their places in front of the tomb. The Roman guard, yes, they're there, but who cares? The Lord's going to be risen from the dead soon enough and nothing can keep them from seeing it. But of course, that doesn't happen. There is no great crowd of disciples. There's only a few women and they haven't come for the purpose of welcoming him back. In their hands they carry the embalming materials that they had prepared. Because friends, they're not expecting a risen Savior. They are expecting a cold corpse that needs the attention of of their administrations. It's a sad commentary, really. 
on fallen human nature, that this is the poor extent by which that they are willing to believe the truth. They're not willing to believe it. But I would also say it's very useful for us to keep in mind the next time that someone ever comes and claims to us that people back then were so gullible that they believe anything. No, they weren't. They didn't believe anything. Even the people who most of all in the whole world should have believed these things the most, they absolutely refused to believe them and they were slow to believe. It took a lot finally to change their mind in the face of every evidence. They finally, finally believed the truth. And let me say that by the end, they certainly were convinced. The evidence before them was absolutely irrefutable. And let me say, I'm not going to waste a lot of time by, by trying to convince you of these things. Actually, the resurrection is so certain, it is such a verified part of history, it's on that basis that we believe other truths. It's, it's, it's a fact. But the issue for them was coming to believe in the word of God, you see. Not in some aspect of history, but to believe the word that had already been preached to them. Because this was no new thing. They'd already been told about the resurrection before it happened. And the question was, are they going to believe it? Well, that was the issue for them. And I think it was, it's the theme of this chapter, Luke chapter 24. That we are presented with this simple fact that Jesus is risen. And the evidence, yes, that flows from it, of a course... But the disciples and the women don't understand that at first. And their eyes, you see, have to be opened spiritually in order for them to remember even what Jesus had said, remember what was written in the Old Testament, and particularly to believe this good news. Beloved, it is no different today. That is exactly the situation that we are in right now. The word of God that reached them is the word of God that reaches us, is the good news of the gospel. The good news that is written very plainly in the word of God. I pray that we would believe it. Well, it's a very simple sermon, simple title, simple, simple points. He is risen is a title. The three points, perplexity, challenge, and belief. Perplexity, challenge, and belief. First of all, perplexity. In verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. Now who are they? Verse 10 tells us, it's Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the disciples. So three that we have uh, names for and some others as well. So it's a group of these women. And what are they doing? Well, they're coming bearing spices. And as I mentioned last time, the fact that they wanted to do what they possibly could for Jesus and burial, that's a good idea. That is laudable. We should always do whatever is in our hands to do, to serve the living God, to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, and to serve our fellow believers. Of course we should. Indeed, love our neighbors. But now it's the third day. Right? It's everything in its own time and place. Not everything that at one point is right and appropriate is always right and appropriate. What was right on day one is no longer the right thing on day three. Because he died on Friday. They rested on Saturday in accordance with the commandment to rest on the Sabbath day. And now it's Sunday morning. And as I say, they should have been. The right and believing thing for them to do would have been to await the resurrection. Now, the first piece of information beyond what they were already told 
The first piece of information they get then is in verse 2. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. The situation's changed. Last time they saw this tomb, they had put a lot of effort and, and sweat into rolling the big uh, stone in front of the tomb. But now it's changed. And it's just possible, just possible that maybe it's changed for the better. This, as I say, was a very heavy stone. It didn't just roll on its own. Something has done this. Someone. And then in verse 3, they went in. And they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. There it is. The possibility is confirmed. The body's gone. Open the tomb. No body. It's come true. All those prophecies, all those predictions that the Lord Jesus had given have come true. And he's risen on the third day. But the fact of it and the reception of it, the data before them and their understanding, these are two different things, unfortunately. Because the the fact of it is staring them in the face. But notice the characterization of what they're experiencing at the moment. In verse 4. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this. They were perplexed. Not that they received it in joy. Not that they embraced these things as they had hoped for. They were perplexed about it. Now we're going to go on to what happens next, but I want us to understand the depth of the human problem at this point. Okay? Fallen people in particular are dead in their sins and, and trespasses. Okay? Dead. They cannot see the things that are true. And even for believers, we are sometimes like the, the man in Mark, Gospel of Mark chapter 8, you know, He's a blind man, and Jesus heals him, and at first all he can see is figures moving like trees, men moving like trees, because his, his eyes had been opened to some extent, but he could not yet see clearly. And as it was for Peter, sometimes we can see Christ just a little bit in outline form, but we don't really know uh, all that he came to do. We don't understand his mission. We don't understand that he, was, he, he died for our sins as much as we should. And maybe we're even slow to believe some aspects that we find in the word of God. And it's possible that these women, though they followed Jesus, though they loved him, their eyes were not fully opened at this point to the fact that he would rise again. And what they needed, and as we all need, the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to see the truth and to believe it. They were greatly perplexed because that was their situation in themselves. And that situation starts to change in our second point, which is challenge. They begin with a situation of perplexity. They can't put these things together because they're, they're, not, they're not there yet spiritually. But we see the challenge in, ver- in, in verse 4. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Isn't it a wonderful thing That God in his goodness not only sends the basic data, and you have to understand that the faith of the apostles, the faith of these women was not based just on an empty tomb that didn't explain anything, but there were messengers sent to explain it to them, to interpret it all. These basic facts were then interpreted by these angels. They have the appearance of men, but we know them to be angels. And they're sent by God to bring word to these women in their perplexity. 
And you know that until the closing of the canon of Scripture, God often used angels to bring his word at important part, points in, in history and the, the work of redemption. How thankful now we have these things recorded for us in Scripture, all that we need to know to believe. And their message to them comes in the form of a challenge. Their situation is perplexity. And now they come with this challenge in verse 5. And then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? Now, it's hard for me to know even how to read this, but let me say that the angels themselves knew what Jesus had said. They, they knew very well that not only, of course, they knew the Lord to be risen, but they knew that the Lord had told them he was going to be risen. And they had no doubt about it. I, the angels themselves, that it would never occur to them to disbelieve a single element of the word of God at any point. It's natural for them to believe every part of the word of God. And they could have said, what is wrong with you? That you do not believe what you are told. But the challenge is more gentle than that. These wonderful angels, sinless in all their ways, Instead, it was more gentle. They allow that the women were at least in some way seeking Christ. Why do you seek the living? But they were looking in the wrong place. Now, again, let me just say that we need to be challenged. We all do at various points. I mean, can you imagine if these angels were acting as polite Englishmen, perhaps? When they realized that the women were actually expecting to see Jesus' dead body, they, they looked like this and sort of said, Oh, yes. Uh, I'm sure you're right about that. Uh, Perhaps he's just taking a a break from being dead, and he'll be back soon, and you can carry on with your work. That would be pretty bad, wouldn't it? That wouldn't be the loving thing for the Lord Jesus Christ to do. That wouldn't be the, the loving thing for these angels who were sent by him to bring word to do. And so rather they, they prod, they challenge that lack of faith, their misunderstanding, their perplexity. And so it is with us. That when we encounter those who are thinking wrongly, whether something so central as a resurrection or some other part of the truth of God's word, we need to correct them, but gently. Well, anyways, the message comes in a form of a challenge, and then there's this joyful proclamation in verse 6, he is not here, but is risen. There it is. They have it. And friends, no better words have ever been said in the whole history of the world. We shall try to consider them just a little bit more in the application, but really the whole book of Acts has to do with the aftermath of this great proclamation of the the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The whole rest of the New Testament deals with all the implications of these things. It's, It's beyond anyone's imagination. It is the single most important event Not just in the history of the world, but of of all time. Actually, the creation itself pales in significance compared to the resurrection. That's why we're meeting here on Sunday. Some of you might be asking, oh, so they rested on Saturday. That used to be the Sabbath day. Why aren't we keeping the Sabbath on, on Saturday? The answer is that the Saturday Sabbath commemorated the creation. And, and the Lord resting on the seventh day after creation. But this one's more important. We couldn't continue to have that as the weekly memorial because the resurrection of of Jesus Christ is far more important than the creation itself. 
Well, this news, of course, was a challenge to them. The question is, how are they going to receive it? That's our third point, belief. He is not here but risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. Remember how he spoke to you. Now look, it is true, sometimes Jesus spoke using parables and he had good reasons for doing it. Like in Matthew twelve thirty nine, he did speak about his resurrection, but he spoke in, in parables. An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Very parabolic language, even in its detail. In the case of Herod, in Luke 13, 32, he said to them, Go to that fox. Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I will be perfected. So the fact that he's going into a grave, and the fact that on the third day he's going to rise again from the dead, it's all there, but it's spoken parabolically to those who are outside the church. But what about to his own people? To them he had spoken very clearly. In Luke 9.22, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised the third day. And even more explicitly as we get to Luke chapter 18 and verse 31, he took the twelve aside, so his own disciples, he takes them aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be delivered up to the Gentiles, and will be mocked, and insulted, and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him, and the third day he will rise again. So you have the list. And you would think the disciples would have that list, and they'd be ticking them off as they happen. Okay, he's been arrested. He was mocked, he was insulted and spat upon, he was scourged, and, and he died. There's only one thing left on the list. That's going to happen any moment, just like the rest of them did. But here's the key, even back in Luke 18, and some of you remember that sermon. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not know the things which were spoken. They did not understand when these things were predicted, and the women do not now immediately understand even when they see them being fulfilled. These things were hidden from them because they're spiritually to be known. Because the living God has to open our dark hearts and our blind eyes and our deaf ears in order that we might believe. But then, this is to me almost as good a news as to hear the Lord has risen. I don't know why that is. I suppose that I identify with those who do not immediately understand. But in verse 8, and they remembered his words. They remembered. And that's just like what we found in Luke 22. Peter remembered the word of the Lord that was spoken to him. And that's what's going to happen in, later on in this same chapter with the The disciples on the road to Emmaus in verse 45. They opened their, and he opened their understanding so that they might comprehend the scriptures. Eyes, their hearts were opened and they believed the truth. 
They remember those words, and they don't just mean that they remember them in a sort of intellectual way. They understood for the first time all that was meant, and they believed it. They believed. As you know, we'll not get into it much now, but they then went with that, went from there, witnessing, testifying to what they had seen and what they believed. This great work. In some sense, you could imagine that there were actually two resurrections in the midst of this. The main one was the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, who once was dead. But also in the heart of these women who were born dead in their sins and trespasses, born in darkness, unable to see anything. Whether that was the first time they believed or whether only it was that their understanding was open to a greater extent, there was a resurrection of their soul. But the Lord had granted that they would believe in the risen Lord Jesus. Well, the application for us in these things, well, so much. As I say, you could go through the whole rest of the New Testament and not run out of applications and implications. But let's just begin by believing this good news. That he is not dead. He is risen. He, is not, he, was not, he was at one point dead for that brief amount of time. Friday night, Saturday, and a few hours on, on Sunday. But he rose from the grave. He is alive now, and he lives forevermore. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And, beloved, this is the core of the apostolic preaching. This is the core of the gospel message. You want to know how important it is? Look, everything rests upon the reality of the resurrection. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom, you say, he did not raise up if, in fact, the dead do not rise. For the dead do not rise, and Christ is also not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sin. And all those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Do you understand that? The firstfruits, right? Meaning that as Christ has risen from the dead, all who are in union with him, all who believe, you understand that when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are united to him. And if he is risen, that means that all of us will, all, will rise as well. That means we do not grieve, for instance, as those who have no hope. When we lay one of our loved ones into the ground, their body still being united with Christ, we know that that person will rise again. And we ourselves do not live our lives as those who have no hope. But we understand that if Christ is risen from the dead, then... Soon enough, all the rest of the harvest will follow. That's us. And let me say that this gospel, it's interesting to me, that what the angels said was not new, right? The Lord had already proclaimed this gospel to them before it happened. Matthew Henry says, Observe, these angels from heaven bring not any uh, any new gospel, but put them to mind as the angels of the church do, of the sayings of Christ, and teach them how to apply it. 
Well, there we are. This gospel has been preached for all these centuries, for nearly 2,000 years. This gospel has been preached. It's nothing new. But you know that, pretty, that every single week in which this gospel is proclaimed, someone new believes in it? Perhaps those who have heard it all their lives finally come to understand the truth of these things. It's no new gospel, but it's no less alive. Indeed, this resurrection, we remember it every single Lord's day. It's the essence of the gospel that we preach, and here we are. This is the gospel. He died, he laid down his life in order to pay for your sins. He died, was buried, and now is risen. And what do you have to do to be saved? It's such a simple thing, isn't it? So simple we we sometimes neglect it. Put your faith, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't do like the, the women are there perplexed. And they're unwilling to receive it fully. Well, how we pray that in the power of the Holy Spirit, your eyes would be opened and your heart too, that you'd embrace Christ, the risen Lord Jesus Christ. We don't ask you to believe in someone who's dead. Far from it. But someone who is alive. And you put your faith in him. Secondly, I want to make a point about images of Christ, just briefly to say that this is a statement against the use of images of, of Christ. The Roman Catholic Church thinks that using images will actually help people to see Christ. So they make little statuettes of Christ, or little pictures here and there. But notice what it says in verse 5. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Jesus didn't leave a little picture of himself behind to help people. He says, don't seek the living among the dead. The Lord Jesus Christ is alive and he is not to be represented by any dead images. Why would you seek the living Christ among dead images made by man? The living Christ is not to be sought by dead images, but in the word of God which he wrote for our benefit that we might Believe and be saved. Thirdly, I'd mentioned the importance of a living church. Right? Christ is not to be found among the dead. And so it is today that the living Christ is not to be found among the dead. And sometimes we, and I speak particularly to our young people who will soon enough one day have to make a decision about where to go to church. And for some reason, we think that this is a minor decision, and it's last on our list of other things. About We think about this and that and the other and the other, and we say, okay, well, maybe a church. I'm sure I'll find a decent one. No, no, no. No, no, no. That, it's the most important decision, where you'll go to church. Because as I say, you'll not find him among the dead. But among churches where the whole counsel of God is preached... Church is where the fruit of the Spirit is seen among the people. You know those fruit, Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, good, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we sometimes imagine that we're so strong in ourselves that we can, we can make it, even in churches where the whole counsel of God is not preached, where the people going there are either dead or very sick. And lame. Friends, it's not true. It's not true. We are far weaker than we, we and, and if you go to the very best church, 
we will all just make it just barely by the grace of God. So endeavor to go to where Christ is found in a living church. Fourthly and finally, we should rejoice. I don't know what, what our problem is sometimes, but how can we not live in the greatest joy? This is the best news ever. How can we not rejoice at this? We rejoice at minor things sometimes. I'm, I'm glad. I, I'm, I, I'm thankful that we can take delight in, in the minor events of this world. It's great rejoicing in the van as we found that Mark had passed his driver's test. Friends, Christ is risen. This is it. And we must surely live in light of this beautiful, wonderful, joyous truth every single day of our lives. That's why, as I mentioned, what are, what are the implications of these things? Why is it there's so much more about joy in the New Testament? It's not that it's absent from the Old Testament. It's only that they're living in the light of the resurrection. And it would be impossible to be crazy for them to mourn in the light of these things. Yes, we mourn with those who mourn. But our overall tenor should be that of joy. That's why it's part of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. As Christ is risen. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, what can we say to these things? You did not spare your Son. You did not send second best. You sent the very best. And you put a handed him over into the hands of sinful men for them to do the very worst to him. But it was not for no purpose. It was indeed that he might be the sin bearer and bear the sins of sinners equal and the weight of their sin to those who put him to death. And not only sinners, but those who are dead, unable and unwilling to receive the things that are true. Well, Heavenly Father, we recognize that there is great darkness in this world. And great darkness for all too many of us in our hearts. But how we pray, Lord, that the day would dawn. That even as the day dawned on that first day of the week, and the dawning realization that Christ was risen, how we pray, Lord God, that you would grant to us in the power of your omnipotent Holy Spirit, we might believe that Christ is risen and live in accordance with that. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.